In this Mach 1 24-7 news cycle world we live in, finding a secluded, serene place to unplug and refresh often seems far out of reach. But thankfully, just minutes west of the Denver metro area, you can find the Mother Cabrini Shrine, as peaceful of a place as you can imagine where you will find yourself feeling a little bit closer to the angels and saints. Longtime director of development Joanne Seaman shares some history, some vision, and some great fundraising insight about the shrine on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and it is a joy to be joined by Joanne Seaman, Development Director for Mother Cabrini Shrine. Tucked just off Interstate 70 between Denver and the Rocky Mountains, Mother Cabrini Shrine is a true gem and what I would call one of the best outposts of peace and serenity in all of Colorado. Joanne has been with Mother Cabrini Shrine for 33 years, awesome, and is responsible for all fundraising endeavors, including annual giving, special events, and a recent capital campaign. We'll ask her about those, as well as all Shrine communications, marketing, and social media. Joanne was born and raised in Victoria, Kansas, and has a BA in communications from Fort Hayes State University and a nonprofit management master's degree from Regis University. Most importantly, Joanne has been married to husband Tim for 28 years, and after raising two daughters, they recently became grandparents to two fabulous granddaughters. Joanne, welcome, and thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So how would you describe Mother Cabrini Shrine to somebody who doesn't know anything about it? Oh, Mother Cabrini Shrine is an oasis, I think. It is an Um, oasis. That's a great word. Um, You know, we're so fortunate, I think, in Colorado, and obviously I'm a little biased with my history um, at the Shrine, but we're so fortunate to have a space and a place like that so close to um, the metro area and really from anywhere you can be at the shrine in 20 to 30 minutes just depending where you are but um, it's so close to the city just for a little escape Um, you know maybe sometimes from reality um, from your busy busy life and it's just really amazing to me that a place like that exists so close to you know a busy big city. Um, And I think the shrine, it's just, it's a place of prayer. It's a place for people to um, come find peace, maybe find some answers that they're looking for. It's, it's just, it's a getaway um, that is just, it has a lot of history um, and there's, there's a lot to learn um, uh, when you, you know, if you come for the first time. Which, I know there's been books written and it's an impossible question, but I'll ask anyways, give us a little bit of the history of St. Francis Cabrini and how the shrine came about. I will, oh. You can do the reader's digest. I know you could talk for days. I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, great question. Um, Mother Cabrini is the first American citizen saint. Um, she was born in Italy, but came to the United States. Um, and she, she didn't come to Colorado until 1902. She was invited by the Bishop and she is, she was just a formidable, I mean, just incredible woman. She has so much grit. She was so smart, had so much business savvy, but most of all, she had just an unwavering faith. Um, she had 
just a huge passionate devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. Um, the reason that we have the 22 foot statue, um, you know, on top of the hill at the shrine was because of her, um, devotion to him, but she was told no so many times in her life. She was very sick, um, as a child, she had many illnesses. She had smallpox. She overcame so many odds, um, to do all of the things that she accomplished in her lifetime. Um, she opened 67 institutions, hospitals, 67, orphanages exactly and she lived for 67 years so wow that's just she was just amazing um she was they say that she was as resourceful as she was prayerful Um, there's a great story about her that she did so much fundraising she had to because she came to the united states with no money essentially and you know for fundraisers this kind of gives us a little bit of hope you know she (laughs) she she started with nothing and she had to just raise and beg and for everything that she had and she would if she get a bill you know in the mail for something that she did or if a contractor did some work for her she would mark it paid and send it back without the money and that was just she just said you know this is this is for god and you know that that was just how she did business and wow um she was just really successful um and just very determined and so she came to colorado in um, 1902 and started a school in north denver um for girls Uh, it was a school and an orphanage and then eventually opened a big orphanage right off of I-70 and federal. Wow. And in 1909, she was looking for a place to get the girls out of the city in the summertime. She wanted a summer camp. And that's when she found the property that the shrine is on today. So it goes back to 1909. It does. Yes. Um, She purchased it because they told her there was no water on the property. And Again, just her true grit and faith and determination. She, the sisters that were with her, she had them flip over a rock, and there the spring of water was flowing, and uh, it still flows to this day. Isn't and, that remarkable? Um, and a lot of people believe that you know the water has healing qualities to it. You know, they pray, they use it. They, um, it's amazing. You know, some of the stories that we hear. And I will say, she is a powerful, powerful intercessor. If you have something that, you know, an intercession or something you're really praying about, she's, she's a good go-to. She really ah, is. Nice. So. so the 22 foot statue, you can see from my 70, there's significance mm-hmm. in the path that leads up to it. Can, am I right about that? Yeah. So it was the path she took when she came, wow. I mean, she came okay. up with her horse and buggy and Um, obviously nothing was paved. And, uh, at that time there weren't steps. I mean, it was just a hillside and she walked up the hill with her sisters and, and some of the girls from the orphanage and she had them gather rocks and they formed them in the shape of a heart with the cross on top. Again, her, you know, um, devotion to the sacred heart and, Mm -hmm. um, and it's still there, um, today it's enclosed and, you know, so people can, can see that. Um, and then over the years, um, the Knights of Columbus and several North Denver families were very instrumental in putting in the steps and, and bringing the statue over from Italy. And um, there are stations of the cross and the, you know, Ten Commandments and just devotional things along the way that people can take their time. There are 373 steps. We ask, get asked that all the time. Um, but you can kind of take your time. And it's just it's a spectacular view from the top. Um, no question. 
looking Denver and yeah, the mountains. So I love the word oasis because it truly is an oasis. If anybody hasn't gone, you've got to go and make that climb, but there's always more than meets the eye. And, and you guys do so much more than just maintain the path. And tell us about everything that goes on up at, up at mother Cabrini shrine. So we have a daily mass in our chapel. Um, we have masses, um, Sunday masses on the weekends. We have three, uh, we have weddings, quinceaneras, you know, we have retreat facilities so people can come and, and stay. We have a retreat house, the, the stone house, which mother Cabrini actually gave the directive to have built. Um, she never got to see it finished, but it was her, you know, direction that that happened. And that's where the girls would stay. And then once she was canonized, um, that's when the property became a shrine in her honor and after 1946. And so we've made some changes, obviously. The stone house is now our retreat house. You know, we just, uh, obviously, we're a Catholic shrine and, and the sacraments are, are very important to us. So there's that um, element to it. But there's also the just being there for people to come and pray and get away and walk or, you know, ride their bike or up the hill. I mean, uh, you know, there are just many, many, um, I think, reasons why people come. Um, we have a gift shop. We recently, as you mentioned in our intro, we just um, finished a capital campaign. Yeah, uh, salute. A, yeah, <laughs> it's the first one we've done. Um, and, we and you're still standing. Way ago. to go. <laughs> yeah, barely. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we decided um, several years ago pre-COVID that um, it was time to take a look at our buildings and our, you know, our vision for the future. Mm -hmm. And not a lot had been done since, you know, the main building was built in the early 70s. And we just had noticed that masses were getting fuller and fuller. And, you know, and especially in the summertime, people were down the ramp and there just were not enough seats. And so we just sort of took a look at everything and thought, well, this this would probably be a good time. One of the things I think most people don't know about the shrine is that we're self-supporting. Um, a lot of people, I think, think that we're under the, you know, umbrella of the archdiocese and, you know, that they support us financially. Um, they don't, we have wow. a, a great relationship with them and, and we work very well together and, but we are self-supporting and, you know, the, the missionary sisters do not fund us that we have to do all of that on our own. So a little pressure um, on the development director, a little pressure on the <laughs> development program. Um, but also we decided, you know, we have a, we had a very small gift shop. And so part of our, our um, construction plan was to make that, um, to enlarge it, make it bigger, more space. And it's been a true blessing. Our sales have been up um, significantly and that helps a lot as well. We created a new conference facility for groups, you know, who want to come in and, and um, use that. And so that was phase one um, of the uh, campaign. And phase two is enlarging the chapel. So we're embarking on that now. We hope to begin um, the construction um, in August, and then we'll probably have to close the chapel for a while uh, right. beginning in January um, so that we can do the remodel of that. But how does this how does this expansion really change the game for you guys? 
it's more for the, I think the future. I mean, obviously the, a bigger gift shop, more sales that helps right. us financially. Um, it gives us room to grow. Um, sure. We can, you know, more people can come to mass and, you know, use our facilities. The addition, we're adding an addition onto the chapel that will have some movable walls. And so we can have chapel seating. We're going from 200 and 50 seats to 400 Wow! Uh, for when we need them. But we'll have some conference, extra conference space as well, you know, so we don't have to turn groups away. And um, we've, we've found ourselves doing that more and more often. So um, again, it's just bringing more people and it's yeah. looking to the future. And, and we want the shrine to be there for generations to come. And we want to preserve mother's legacy. And, and um, hopefully this is setting the groundwork for that. Well, I would assume that this puts you on a different tier with all the wedding planners. <laughs> which, <laughs> there's <true>. definitely never <laughs> enough wedding facilities. That's but right. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, I know we joke and say it's a lot of pressure on you because you're, you're all self-funded, but at the same time, that has to be a little bit of an advantage because you can go to donors and say, if you donate to us, it's staying here. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it was just sort of, you know, letting people know that initially, um, when I started 30, whatever years ago, plus years ago, they, we didn't have a development program. So we started from scratch and it was kind of just, you know, communicating that message and and letting people know that uh, absolutely every dollar they give goes right into, you know, the facilities, the the grounds, the programs, whatever, you know, it is that we're working on at the time. So I will say our donors are incredible. We were just, we were blown away by the campaign. It it took us about 15 months to raise the 4.5 million for these, you know, that feels really fast to me. And it was during COVID, you know, I mean, and salute. You, that's awesome. took a big chance. Um, we, it was hard to know what to do because there were people were struggling and we wanted to be, you know, um, considerate of that. But um, people were just incredible. Our donors, our friends, our, you know, volunteers. We just, we have um, an amazing group of people who help us every single day. Um, we're a small staff. We have three missionary sisters on staff right now, and then uh, about uh, 10, you know, lay staff people. And we couldn't do it without our volunteers and and our, um, obviously, our donors. Right. Well, and I like to think, you know, I saw a lot of fundraising success for different organizations during COVID. And I like to think, especially would apply to, to Mother Cabrini Shrine, is that giving to an organization like that in a dark time really provides some light and some hope. So, I, and, and that's what you're here for, right? Absolutely. That is absolutely why we're here. And again, even during COVID, you know, it was obviously a scary time for yeah. a lot of organizations and people and you just wonder how you're going to get through it. And again, people just stepped up and, and really helped us, you know, through that time. So as a fundraiser, who's been doing this for a few days, you know, ways and means of fundraising have, have always evolving. What have been the biggest changes in fundraising that you've witnessed over your career? It's interesting. We started uh, really with a direct mail program mm-hmm. um, and some annual giving um, and then sort of evolved into special events. We're getting ready for our annual gala, which I know you were, you came uh, last Great year. Great fun. And, and everybody um, should go. 
<laughs> Thank you. Uh, we're getting ready for um, number 21, I think it is in September. And so we kind of evolved into that. Again, it, it you know, it's a fun event. And it I think people just love to get together and, you know, for a cause. And now, I think in this time of social media, trying to use that, you know, um, to kind of communicate our message. We still do direct mail. Um, large portion of our donors are older and they mm -hmm. want that piece of paper, you know, we try to, you know, encourage online giving and just sort of try to change with the times as best, best we can. But I think that's also a, a good message for any of our nonprofit folks out there, that there are some tried and true means. And when you're communicating and you're on mission and everything else, mm -hmm. that's what matters almost more than the platform you're doing to communicate it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, how, how have donors evolved and, and how have you managed to stay, you, you know, maintain your position in such a competitive marketplace? There, yeah, well, you're right. There are so many people and organizations out there asking, you know, for the same right. dollar. And right. it's a challenge. It really is. And, you know, I think the shrine is so um, unique and kind of specialized that yeah. and some people don't even know what it is, you know. So, again, it's for a long time. I think we were a really well-kept secret and right. it took a, a long time to get our message out and to let people know we were there. And yeah, it's a challenge. And I think, you know, a lot of our donors had generations, family members who were tied to Mother Cabrini mm -hmm. herself, you know, and right. we're kind of starting to lose some of that. You know, yeah. you try to maintain that with, you know, grandchildren and great grandchildren and that kind of thing. And, but it's, it's really finding new people and bringing new people to the shrine. And yeah. um, it's, it's a challenge. It really is. Yeah, for sure. But if you, if you stick to the one thing that you're good at and try to, you know, inch wide, mile deep instead of vice versa, um, exactly. which, which I think the shrine does, that, that's probably an advantage, but you know, I know anybody is welcome to visit. And again, I'd encourage everybody that I know to go up there. It's just, it's just the, like I say, outpost of peace and serenity, but how intentional are you with staff and volunteers and everybody else to, so when somebody sets foot on the shrine, they're immediately, they feel welcome. I mean, that has to be an intentional act on your Absolutely. Part. Absolutely. We recently, um, did a, a sort of a rebranding. Um, we had we, honestly, all these years, we didn't really have a logo. I mean, that's, that's really awesome kind of terrible to say. <laughs> it just took a while, but, and we were very intentional about signage and, you know, just so when people come on the property, they feel welcome. They feel like they know where to go or what to do their maps or, you know, that kind of thing. Again, we are a small staff. If we could be out there, you know, welcoming people when they do set foot on the property, we would be. And and we do have volunteers who do that. We, mm -hmm. we have them in the grotto in the summertime, you know, right. just to greet people and, and that kind of thing. But we do try to be very intentional about that because everybody's welcome. And again, we're a Catholic shrine, but, you know, I've had people tell me, I met a guy one day outside who rode his bike up the hill and he, he stopped and I asked a question and he just said, you know, I've been coming here for like 20 plus years. I ride my bike wow. up this hill. And he said, I've never stepped inside the building. I'm not Catholic. I'm not really anything, <laughs> but this is where I come to find God, you know, and this is where my, my time with Jesus and so be it. I mean, good, right. good for him. And thank good goodness him. we can provide that, you know, so 
Yeah, I thought that was really kind of telling. That prompts me to ask another completely unfair question, which I will, is do you have any any favorite visitor stories that, that you should share? Um, I mean, people think. come from all over the world to visit, correct? They do. Yeah. They do. Um, you just, you never know. I mean, you know, when, when you deal with the public, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Honestly, probably the ones that stand out the most are the ones that have so much faith or that come to thank Mother Cabrini for answering their prayers or people that, you know, were really sick and were healed or, um, you know, beat cancer or some of the most heartwarming, inspiring stories probably, you know, stand out the most again, or, you know, people who lose a loved one and come to the shrine to find peace or come, yeah. we have benches and, you know, different things mm-hmm. to remember loved ones. And if the shrine was a special place, there's a woman who's a really dear friend um, who has become a really dear friend. And she lost her husband when she was pregnant with their third child to an oh, aneurysm. Geez. And I mean, absolutely heartbreaking, you know, but it just gave her so much peace and to be able to have that bench up near the statue of Jesus and, um, you know, her kids, um, have kind of grown up coming to the shrine. Her oldest daughter just got married and, wow. you know, so visitors like that really stick with me. My experience has been, you go there and you realize you're not alone, um, which exactly. is, which is awesome. So yeah. it's, it's like, I say, it's been a few days that you've been there now. Um, mm-hmm. what, what continues to energize you as, oh. as you, as you do this work year after year? I love the shrine. I love everything about it. I love that drive every morning that I get to do up that hill. Sometimes in the winter, it's a little tricky, <laughs> you know, but I've gotten used to it. It just, um, I love the sisters. I love working with them. Um, they're just wonderful, passionate women. And um, it's just, it stopped feeling like a job a long time ago. My girls grew up there. Uh, they would come to work with me when, you know, worst came to worst and um, didn't have a babysitter or whatever day off of school. I actually met my husband on the property. Um, come on. And I did. Uh, long story, but we told me that's not there. a God wink. Good Lord. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the girls were both baptized there. Our oldest daughter was married there. Um, you know, so it's just it's just a part of us, a part of our family and, and a part of me. And I just feel so fortunate that I get to do this um every day and that's and so just, awesome what, a, what an inspiration yeah. i hope everybody heard that it quit oh, feeling like you. a job a long time ago we should all be so lucky so yeah. what what is it that that excites you about the future for the shrine obviously the new um construction, construction. the new chapel the sure. you know it's really exciting for the future, um, for the shrine, for Mother Cabrini's legacy, um, you know, just to continue her, her story and her spirit and, and, you know, just that people continue to know her and through her, they come to know Jesus. I mean, and that's why we're there. And, um, I just think it's really exciting that we were able to make some changes and, and make it more welcoming and bigger. And we're just really thankful that we were able to do that. And if you're Catholic, it's great. If you're not Catholic, it's great. Um, Absolutely. Everyone is welcome. Yep. Um, I always like to wrap these up. I call them the fab four. The first one is what's something you will read, listen to, or watch today? Read, listen to, or watch. 
Um, well, honestly, since you invited me to do this podcast, I've been listening to your podcast. Oh, yay. It's, <laughs> it's really good. I've re- I'm humbled that I am in this group because oh, you gosh. have some fantastic guests. So honestly, I'm going to continue your podcast. Well, doesn't that make my day? Wow. <laughs> so who would you say is a role model for you? My career, you know, I have a very uh, dear friend, Father John Lager. Uh, most people in the Archdiocese oh, yes. of Denver know him. Um, he's uh, was just he's been the um, national chaplain for Focus, um, the Fellowship of Catholic um, University yep. Students. Um, he actually taught me in high school. Um, no kidding. Oh, that's did, awesome. Uh, actually, junior high, high school, and then um, introduced me to the sisters and really helped me get this job. And so. He's helped us. Uh, he was our capital campaign chair. Um, and I always joke with him, you find the busiest, most well-connected person, you know, make them your capital ca- campaign chair <laughs> and it's going to be successful, you know? So pro tip uh, for everyone. Been, <laughs> exactly. He's been very helpful. Um, just a dear friend and really helped has helped shape the development program for the shrine. And uh, yeah, a lot of credit goes to him. I mean, I would love to someday see a chart of, you know, everybody Father John has influenced. That would you'd need a wall, right? Exactly. Exactly. So other than the shrine, is there an organization out there that you really admire who's doing work that inspires you? Um, I love the amazing parish. Um, they're, you know, relatively new in the last, I don't know, eight or nine years, maybe I think they're doing great work, Mm -hmm. love what they're doing. We actually participated in one of their, um, sessions and just thought they were, um, it was really good. Um, and probably Arupe Jesuit high school. I'm fascinated by the work that they do as well. Such a cool model. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Lastly, if anybody wants to support, visit, learn more about the shrine or, or St. Francis Cabrini, what, where should they do? They can go, certainly go to our website. It's just mothercabrinishrine.org. By all means, come and visit, you know, just, just come and, and see it for yourself. I'm there. Uh, Jeff, our executive director is there. We, we love to give tours. Um, would love for you to meet the sisters. They're always there on the weekends. And again, just wonderful women, um, you know, carrying on the legacy and, um, just come and see us and our gala is coming up. If you want a fun evening out, all the information is on our website. Um, love to love to have some new folks join us. We will put all that in the show notes. And I, it's, it's awesome to me that you drive 20 minutes outside of Denver. You feel like you're on a completely different planet when you're at the shrine, just an amazing outpost of, of peace. Joanne, your, your passion comes through. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's been great to spend time with you, with you. Hang on one second and uh, cheers for a continued success. Thank you very much. I'm again, thanks for having me and letting me talk about one of my favorite topics. I appreciate uh, it's been it. a, it's been a joy. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by JC Charity and Event Services. If you're interested in how I might be able to bolster your efforts and help your team achieve its goals, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. Make sure to check out the Mother Cabrini Shrine. You'll find contact information in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you would subscribe and leave us a review. Until next time, I hope you are inspired to find a way to make our world better.